Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. For those of you who have been with us, uh, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Matt. I'm one of the chaplains that supports this team, this chaplain, this congregation, part of 2nd Brigade, Warriors. We have been studying the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 7. And like Brother Ken preached last week, we have continued the reality that when the Lord works, when the Lord works on your heart, the enemies will be emboldened to stop it, to distract, to confuse His people and the calling that He has placed on your heart. And we have come to a place now when the wall has been finished. And now what? Now what? We're going to be going over chapter 7 and chapter 8. I will be reading from the RSV version, the Revised Standard Version. And any other translation works unless you have the NASB. I'm just joking, Cheryl. But please pray with me. Father God, you have provisioned this day to happen, and as we have come before your cross, come before your throne, come into this place of worship, God, I pray that your word will be made new to us this morning. That as we have come with the distractions of the world, with our burdens, with our questions, with our confusion, that some answers can be given today. That the weary heart will find rest. That families, that soldiers, that leaders will be blessed. Steady my heart, steady my mind as the message that you placed upon it is shared. And in your son's name do we pray. Amen. Chapter 7, starting verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites, had been appointed. Now if you believe in underlining or highlighting or asterisk taking notes in your Bible, I want you to underline, I want you to annotate, Levites. We're going to come back to that. Verse 2. I gave my brother Hanani and Hanatha, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards, from among, from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each to his station, excuse me, and each opposite his own house. The city, verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Verse 5, Then God put into my mind to assemble the nobles 
and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, and starting from verse 6, all the way to pretty much the end of the chapter, there is a detailed report of the families, the tribes, by number, who was taken out of Jerusalem when Babylon conquered it and sent into what was called the exile. So I want to highlight two points within these few verses. The first point is this. The wall is finished. Now guard your heart. That's not to say that the people of God, the, the, the workers here, did not have to guard their heart before they did. But the wall is now done. Now highlight this. The thing. I'm not talking about a little white picket fence. I'm talking about stories high. Feet thick. This massive engineering feat. And it was built by the daughters within families. It was built by the goldsmiths. It was built by perfumers. It was built by the common Joes with leadership of convicted hearts. It was built in 52 days. Can you imagine any type of government program being started and completed in 52 days? I mean, it's like, let's just drive out post through Waiwa and be like, wow, this road is completed. And then when it's completed, there's already a pothole. How does this happen? In 52 days, the wall was completed and the people rejoiced in it because the Lord strengthened their hands and their hearts for the good work. Notice who Nehemiah appointed over the gates. Let's look at verse 1. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Why would you put the Levites on the doors, the entrances to the city? Well, who was the Levites? The Levites were the priests of the temple. These were singers. These were people whose primary job was to worship God. Why would that be important? Because Nehemiah knew as it was written, Jerusalem was not just a city. It was where God was worshipped. What was built within the city walls? The temple. And therefore, Nehemiah knew that in order for God to be worshipped correctly, those charged to ensure that the proper practices were to be enforced, the Levites should be placed at the very entrances of the city to ensure that anyone coming would hear the hymns and the praises to the Lord. So imagine you're driving onto Schofield Barracks, and you just hear the MPs welcome you with great cadences. And this is not, you know, reload and shoot them again. This is, this is not 
Stand up, hook up to the door, jump right down and cut the floor. This is, behold, holy, holy, holy. You are entering into a city that is called to worship the Lord. And Nehemiah knew that A, keep the doors locked because who is still outside of the city? The enemy. Stand watch. And who should be standing watch at the door was the priests for the people. Beloved, that is the call that now each and every single one of us has been called to do. Because in the New Testament, Jesus says, Behold, as I am resurrected from the dead, I will rebuild the temple. And where is the temple now? It is in our hearts. And therefore, you and I are charged to protect and to guard and to defend our places of worship. Well, what is that? You, your very soul, your very body, your very eyes. The Bible says that the eyes are the gateway to your what? Your soul. Out from the heart does the mouth speak, which is terrible. Because I want to say, I didn't really mean what I said. Have you ever been caught in that? You quickly say something really, really, really quickly. And you're like, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. You spoke it. The thoughts, the feelings, the emotions came from the heart. And therefore, we spoke it. Thank God. God is patient with our ignorance. Nehemiah says that the city of God, Jerusalem, is now externally protected. The wall was finished. But we cannot just check the block. At one time, a wonderful and modern power plant and power grid was built. And one time before many of us were born, it was excellent. And now, you might just not have power at night. You might, don't open up the freezer. Save it, because we don't know when the power is coming back on. You see, we, you and I as the church cannot just say, well, said that prayer. Well, I, I did that. <laughs> Christian 101, done. We can't just do a good work and then hang our hat on it as if it's just rinse and recycle and repeat. It is like building a garden and watering the seeds once and then wonder why is nothing growing if you never go back and water it again. You always have to go back to the infrastructure of the city. You always have to go back to the foundation of the soul to say, how is it doing? We just sang a beautiful hymn, Come thy fount of every blessing. Oh Lord, tune my heart. Why? Because it is prone to wonder, oh Lord, I feel it. And don't you feel it sometimes when the enemies of the soul come very close to you and you're like, uh, I'm getting that feeling. I'm getting that thought. It always amazed me when I used to work for Liberty University as a code of conduct officer and people would come up and they say to me, well, I just, I drew a line and I, I you know, 
I try not to cross it, but I cross that line with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend or cheating on this test. And uh, How can I stop that from happening again? Don't draw a line in the sand. Because the reality is, is that you and I are going to try to get so close to that line in the sand and we're going to justify why we did not sin. And in reality, it's what does the law say? How are we guarding our hearts? How are we guarding our hearts in the society and the culture that you and I live in where if you do not agree with me 100%, then you are the enemy? How do we guard our hearts to view other people as being made in the image of God? Nehemiah reminds us that the doors should be guarded. They should be locked. And it says, do and refraining to let anybody in who is not going to worship the Lord. You and I have our own temple now. Those who believe in Christ, those who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And therefore, we should be continually guarding our heart. The second point is this. The legacy of your faith is vital to a faithful family. I want to point this out. Look at verse 5 again. Then God put into my mind to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found it written. Beloved, your testimony is important. The Lord really convicted me to, to think through this, to pray through this, and I, I've been a youth pastor for a very, very long time. And I never, I never did this to, to snipe out the, the senior pastor, but I would always ask the children, do you know the testimony of your parents? And I would ask the senior pastor's child first. And I wonder if the children of the chapels that serve here, if our own children know our testimony. I wonder if your children know your testimony. Why do you believe in what you believe in? You see here, this mattered to the Jewish people. This mattered. Because can you just think and fathom what it would have been like to read these numbers, to read these names, and say, whoa! Great-grandpa did... He, he was right there. That's his name. Uncle... Auntie was there, yeah. And to be able to behold and see, look at the steadfast and the faithfulness of God who said, I'm going to take you to Babylon, but I promise to bring you back. How do you think that would have imprinted upon the people there who said, my family was redeemed? I tell you, beloved, this is important. My, my Bible is a testimony to this. This was my grandfather's Bible, and you can flip through it, and you can almost take a sermon's amount of notes that he, hand, that he handwritten, but he highlighted, and then you can see his literal handwriting. Then you can see the handwriting of my grandfather and the handwriting of my father. Now it is mine, and I cannot wait for the joy 
that I can have to give this to my children to say, behold and look at the faith, the faithfulness of God that we have had a faithful family. Maybe you do not come from that. Maybe you have come from a family of great bitterness and hardship. Maybe you do not come from great examples of the faith. But the Lord can redeem that. Just as Nehemiah was called to bring and restore the dignity of God's people, God himself is your personal Savior and the Savior of your family. Because my best intentions in the name of the Father are wasted without the hand deliverance of the Lord. I want you all to realize this going back one verse before the in verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. And I hope that you took note that where Nehemiah posted the people who lived within the city, guarded the wall that was right across from their house. Made it a little bit personal there. Okay? You don't have to flip there. You can, but in Jeremiah chapter 29, Everybody loves Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For the Lord our God has great plans for you, thus says the Lord, plans for plans to prosper you, not for evil, but plans of hope. But before that, Jeremiah gives a charge from the Lord to the people. You are living in Babylon for 70 years, people. Go out and plant gardens and build houses. Increase, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city and pray for it. You are going to stay here for a while. This is your temporary home. Anybody live, I don't know, in places for a few years and then move? Anybody experience that? Anybody has to, you know, you have the genealogy of your PCS season by the number of little tag stickers on your furniture. You're like, no, this is going to be the history of our moves with all the different colors, right? I want you to note this. Jeremiah tells the people of God who are in exile in Babylon, behold, you're going to be here for a bit. Plant homes. Seek the welfare. Increase, do not decrease. What does he say here in verse 4? He notes that no houses has been built. What do you think is about to happen? Homes were about to be built because you had all these people who had just come back. This is a pivotal moment for the, his, for the people of God to say, you are home now. You are no longer a nomadic people. You are no longer transient. You are here. Defend your home. Beloved, you might know somebody who knows somebody. And, you, and they might ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be part of a Bible study? Is it worth it to volunteer? I'm never going to see these people again. I'm only here for a little while. 
It's so much work to make a friend. And isn't that the truth? It is. But beloved, God has led your hand where you are today. Build your home. Build it. And you will be utterly surprised what God will do in your life when your heart is willing. Because it is the Lord who builds the house. And if he doesn't, the laborers will labor in vain. I also want to highlight something here. This genealogy was very important. You find that the two uh, uh, letters, the two Gospels that were primarily written to Jewish people, specifically uh, um, uh, Matthew, gave a whole lineage enforcing and edifying and giving uh, the, the, the genealogy that says Jesus is part of the right tribe, the right people, and God's promise was true, that there would be one day a Messiah born out of this family. Let me tell you again, Beloved, the legacy of your faith is vital to a faithful family. Something that, that Dana and I, we have been encouraged to do is to hold on to the Shabbat meal tradition. So for those of you who do not know what the Jewish Shabbat meal is, is that on Friday was the day, the beginning of the Sabbath. And what would happen is that the families would come together. The whole house would have been clean. They would be using the good silverware, you know, the good china. And, and, and if you had a small family, you would get your neighbor to come in over. If you, there was a single dude, you would bring him over. If there was a homeless guy, hey, buddy, come on. You're going to practice Shabbat with us. And the very first thing that would happen would be the lighting of the candles. And there would be a special prayer with the lighting of the candles. And then there would be a special blessing over the, of the, of the bread. You're about to hear it today because we're going to have communion. And then there would be wine. And there would be a special blessing over the wine. But you know what? Something so significant would happen. The father of the house would go to his children, lay his hands upon them, and provide each child with their own blessing. And they would say, as I did this past Friday, Eleanor, may you have the wisdom and the courage of Esther. And you could just see her face being illuminated with exuberant joy because she knows my daddy loves me. I am in my father's house. And I am being blessed. And this was typical in this area where the father would lay hands and bless it. You have that story with Isaac. It is throughout the Bible. And even Timothy says, lay hands, all elders. Because they're the blessing. And I go before my son Griffin. May you have the fortitude and the diligence of John the disciple. And he looks at me confused. And he just says, poop. <laughs> Don't know if that foreshadows anything. But the point of it is, is that the father was engaged. And he puts that blessing, and I can only imagine if that daughter, if that son says, who is Esther? What do you think would happen then? It'd be a whole history and account of who Esther was. And then the second thing that would happen during the Shabbat meal is that the father would profess a story, a teaching. Most of the time it was the creation story. And on the first day, the Lord created 
on the first day. <laughs> and the Lord created light and he said that it was good and there would be a teaching about light. And on the second day, there would be a teaching on that. You see, beloved, the whole culture was surrounded on one thing and one thing only. And that was faith in the God who was always in the midst of his people. And there would be a continual rehashing every single week of what God did. You know what's about to happen? We're about to see that in this story, in this account right here. Point one, the wall is finished, now guard your heart. Be mindful because the enemy is at the door and he will always come in. Pay attention to the infrastructure of your soul because it will one day decay. It will one day burn out. Now, Point number two, the legacy of your faith is vital to a faithful family. Your family, even if you are a single person, the community that you are enriched by will leave a lasting impact on you. The easiest thing to do in life is to make an impact. It's either going to be a positive one or a negative one, but it will be an impact left on somebody. Why is it, do you think, that we change our name to Schofield Community Chapel and put so much emphasis on the Awana ministry, on children's church, to edify the foundation of the children, of the young hearts and of the young minds, of what God has done. Why is it that when we have communion, we do not have children's church, but your children behold and see communion before us? Because we all take into the celebration of what Christ has done. And it is good to share it. It is good to remember it. God is faithful and true. And just as he redeemed the people, the genealogies of God's people, he will continually redeem your life. Fathers, what are you teaching your children, your sons and your daughters of the Lord Almighty? Mothers, what is taught from you? You know, it's only recently where we have this cultural thought that it was the mother that was the teacher. Back here during this time, and, and really before the, the, the turn of the century, it was the father who was the primarily teacher for all things. Men, we must remember the standard, this standard, of what it calls to be a faithful man of God. And be the teachers of our household. How do you do that? Listen, brother, that is what you pray and you go to the Lord for. Because how I teach and feel led to lead my family is what are the convictions of my heart. And I'm not here to tell you what should be on yours, but I do hope that it is bounded and based upon the truth of the Word. Because if it's not, when it only comes from the book of opinions. It only goes but so far. Point number three. I want you all to move with me to chapter eight. 
And it says here in verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt like you're the only one who's still holding on to your faith? Let me tell you how awesome this is. The revival of the nation of God took place with two prophets. Nehemiah was a minor prophet. Ezra was a minor prophet. God laid upon Nehemiah to rebuild the dignity, the people of God, the walls. He laid upon Ezra to rebuild the law, the importance, the relevance of the law of God, and that it's still alive today. So to surmise what is happening, and I want you all to look, drop down with me in verse 5. He takes the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, and as soon as he opens it, what happens in verse 5? And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people who was standing on the pulpit. And what happens? I lost my place. For he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And he began to read the law of God for days. And the people wept and sobbed. Why would they have wept and sobbed? Look at verse 8. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense. There were priests, there were teachers of the law amongst the people, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God, and do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why would they have wept? Because for generations, they did not know it. They did not know the law of God. We live in a day where we believe that the only way you and I as Christians are going to be accepted is with this warm and fuzzy Hallmark movie standard of what love is. Beloved, as a scripture reading professed in 1 Peter, you are aliens, you are exiles, and yet you are called to be a holy priesthood, yeah. a nation. You and I are never going to be accepted by the world. Right. Never. If the world rejected the most innocent man on earth named Jesus, how and why would they reject us? But if our doors were to be shut with Schofield Community Barracks, weep and mourn at the closing of our doors. Beloved, if we put in effort to be accepted by the world when we have been given a law that separates us from the world, from the nations of people, then there is no standard for the church. Psalms 19 clearly says that it is the law of God that revives the soul. It is sweeter than any honey on the comb. It is perfect in every way. How is it the, the law of God revives the soul? I thought, chaplain, that it was the cross. Cross is a method of salvation. 
the method of how sins were paid for. But it was the law of God that required the cross to be anyway. It was the law of God that said, you and I are unholy, that your best intentions, your best efforts will still give you hell. It's the law of God that looks at the church and says, you are not the NWR. You are not the good idea fairy. You are not this or that. You are my bride. You are so worthy. I want you to be removed and set yourself apart from it. And the people wept and mourned because they knew that they hadn't been faithful and true. But look at what happens in verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. The homeless, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted the people down and the city rejoiced. Beloved, you and I, as we read and study the law of God, we only have two decisions to make from it. We either see them as a list of rules of do nots, or we see them as a very basis and need for a Savior to fulfill them. The Old Testament is the law of God. The New Testament is how Christ fulfilled the law and therefore we should love it. Beloved, do we know the standards that Christ has given to us? It's by studying the law. It's by being part of a community. It's by understanding that you have a fascinating part. This whole thing called the church. And when you and I come to the reality that there's no way that I can't do these right and wrongs, I can rejoice because Christ can. By, the, by the theology, I'm Presbyterian, baby. I'm a Calvinist. You know what our nicknames are? We are the frozen chosen. You go to a Presbyterian church? Praise God from whom all. You go to another denomination? They're like, Jesus! Woo! And I hate that stereotype from my denomination. Because how can you, who claim to have been chosen by God, do it so quietly? How can you be so reserved? How can you be so quiet? How can you be so stoic? As if nothing has changed in your soul. We're about to come before the table of the Lord and there's going to be a time of reflection and meditation and, and prayer. Point three says, without the law, there is no repentance, and the cross is pointless. Without the law, there is no repentance, and the cross is pointless. Beloved, this table is meant as a table of rejoicing, not a table of mourning. It's the time to say, once I was no child, once I was rejected, and now I have been redeemed. Once I was living in darkness, 
And now I am the child of light. And I will tell you, beloved, that there are things, there are struggles that you might be personally dealing with. And you might say to yourself, how can I be a Christian and still struggle with this addiction? How can I be a Christian and still struggle with this doubt, with this shame, with this guilt, with the temptations of pornography, or the temptations of alcohol, or the temptations of fill in the blank? And I will tell you, God is not meant for you to wrestle with that alone. That as God has rebuilt the temple in your heart, the wall has been finished and you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This, the, your adversary, the devil, will come around you like a, with a, like a roaring lion seeking you to devour. And so, yes, I've had those same questions. How can I be a chaplain and still struggle with this? Beloved, that is the point of the cross. And thanks be to God that we have a Redeemer who wrestles that. But give that to God to wrestle with. Because if we tried to build the wall, if we tried to guard our heart by our own effort, we will utterly fail. It is when we come to the Lord, and when we utterly pray, God, you know my heart, take and seal it for the courts above. As the chaplains who are going to help serve communion come up, please join me in prayer. Father God, we live in a sinful and fallen world, a world that is filled with distractions, a world and a vocation within the military that constantly points us to compare ourselves and contrast it with others. Lord, let us not be so arrogant and prideful to say that the success of our efforts have been by our own. But let us be able to come to the cross, not just once, but daily, to realize the great need of remembering the mighty and faithful works of your hand on our life. And if there's anyone here who might doubt that, if there's anyone here that might be confused by it, God, I pray that you reveal yourself in a powerful way. That in this moment of silence, Father, that we confess our sins to you, not through man, but through you alone, for you are quick to hear the cries of your people. In this moment of silence, let us confess our sins to you.